0: From the seed of Abraham And led them through the wilderness stand by. We'll the land In boundless love and
1: mercy Hi, this is Betty McKinney, and I'm coming to you from Brazil. So, um, greetings from Brazil. I'm going to be here from December 1st till February 9th. And I've got Kathy here, I've got Randall Cup here, and of course Celio, Felipe, Silvana, and Talita. And we're all um, working hard, having a great time here in Brazil, getting ready for a Christmas party that we're going to put on um, for all the people that come to the feeding program here at the mission. And praise God, we have lots of help this year, so we're very grateful that God sent us volunteers to help. There's even a family from Montana, a family of four that's coming in. They'll be arriving tomorrow. So we are just we couldn't be more thankful for all that God is doing here at the mission. Um, hopefully, I'll be streaming a Bible study approximately once a week from Brazil. So I hope you'll tune in and I can give you the updates from Brazil. Where I am right now, I'm in the lower building that we just remodeled. How long ago, Kathy? Um, a year and a half ago?
0: No, a year ago.
1: A year ago, uh, the office is right over there and we have four beautiful bedrooms and I'm sitting in the coffee area that we have, um, we call it our Brazilian Hampton Inn (laughs) because it's really first class. Um, So, I'm going to get right into the word here. We are in Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 26, and it is, the beginning of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, previously, um, we talked about, um, well, let's just read just sort of to get a running start with 19b to verse 20. It says, Now for several days, he, meaning Paul, was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. So he had been with the disciples in Damascus, but in verse 25, it says that they had to lower him out of Damascus in a basket because he was, Paul basically caused trouble everywhere he went. Do you cause trouble everywhere you go? If not, maybe you're not being bold enough for Jesus. (laughs) So he had to flee Damascus and now as we start in verse 26, Paul is going to go for the first time to Jerusalem and try to meet um, the disciples, the apostles, in Jerusalem. From Galatians 1:19, we learn that when he goes, all of the apostles were away except for Peter and James. I'm kind of going to be going back and forth between Acts and Galatians because Galatians fills in a lot of the blanks of what happened during this time. So let me just go ahead and go to Galatians um, chapter 1. You might want to put your finger in Galatians because we're going to go there several times. And Galatians 1, 15 through 19 says, But when he who had set me apart now this is Paul writing to the church in Galatia so Paul says when he who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Peter, or Cephas, your translation might say, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So that kind of clears up and gives some clarification. When Paul went to Jerusalem, um, all the apostles seemed to be away except for Peter and James. And in Galatians, that he had been spending his time since his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus in Arabia. At that time, Arabia stretched from Damascus all the way down to what we now would call Saudi Arabia. Paul was out in the desert, I believe, because he had a lot of unlearning to do. (laughs) Before he could really follow the Lord as a simple, humble believer in Jesus Christ, trusting him, depending on him, learning what it meant to live by faith, as he wrote so profoundly about in the book of Romans, before he could learn that, he had a lot of unlearning to do. And that's the problem for a lot of us, you know, especially if you've been brought up in the church, especially, <laughs> um, forgive me, but if you've gone somewhere like seminary, <laughs> you might have to do a lot of unlearning of the traditions of man, <clears throat> the rules and regulations of religious thinking, which Paul was just totally in bondage to, before he could really know what it was to have a vital intimate faith-based relationship with jesus christ and god and the holy spirit so god sometimes has to take us away from what we have known from what we have put our trust in and do a lot of stripping and a lot of unlearning and that's the process that paul had to do um, we could ensure that some of his writings to say that this Unlearning took 14 years. So don't feel bad if you are in a process where, hey, I thought I was a good Christian and I thought I knew it all and I thought I was following all the rules and God just thrust you into a wilderness like the area between Damascus and Saudi Arabia so that you can be stripped of all that traditions of man and head learning, you know, head knowledge and really come to know who he is. So um, don't don't feel like you're being punished this is part of the process that even the apostle Paul had to go through and it's a good thing even though it might not feel good at the time amen so um, but even when he was in that area the scripture says he was sharing Jesus with the Gentiles so um, now he's come to the place where he really wants to present himself to the apostles in Jerusalem. He wants to make acquaintance with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. He knows that that is where the church began. He knows who these pillars of the church are, especially Peter and James. And um, so he goes. So in verse 26, this is our text today, verse um, 26 of Acts 9, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But again, the um, the text in Galatians tells us that only Peter and James were there. We know Peter. Okay, who is James? James was the Lord's. Biological half brother. He was the son of Joseph and Mary. Um, He was a half brother because obviously Jesus was conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit, but James was the natural child of Mary and Joseph. So he was Jesus' biological half brother. He grew up in the same household as Jesus. He wasn't one of the twelve original disciples. And actually, As Jesus was doing his ministry around Galilee, Judea, he didn't believe. He didn't believe when his brother was living and moving from village to village and ministering and doing miracles. Um, But James witnessed his death and he witnessed his resurrection. And Jesus appeared to his brother, his half-brother James, after his resurrection. And then James did believe. Came to believe, and now James holds a position in Jerusalem comparable to a, an apostle. They call him an apostle. Um, we learn that also in Galatians in 2:9. Um, we're not, I'm not going to take time to read that, but you can make a note of it. Also, Acts 12:17 and Acts 15:13 indicates that James, not Peter became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. If you read the epistle of James, it was, it's the most Jewish epistle there is. It appeals to the, those who have come out of traditional Judaism who've come to be believers. So James remained the leader of the Jewish church in Jerusalem, whereas Peter and Paul and others went out to the Gentile world and took the gospel out of Jerusalem. Just as Acts 1.8 said, You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem first, then Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And James remained in Jerusalem, leading the church there until he was martyred in A.D. 62. Okay, so um, we are going to see what happens now as Paul is trying to associate with the disciples. And verse 26, as we read, They were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. For obvious reasons, because we know his past, right? Um, Verse 27 says, But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. So who is the person who intervenes on Paul's behalf? It's Barnabas. You know, it's common to say Paul and Barnabas, isn't it? When we talk about the missionary journeys and the beginning of the church and the the gospel going out, we say, oh yes, Paul and Barnabas went on the first missionary journey. But as we see the role of Barnabas here in the life of Paul, actually, it's more fitting to say Barnabas and Paul. (laughs) Barnabas came first. Barnabas was well acquainted with the apostles. He had a place in the church. And he's the one who brought him to the apostles and argued his case um, and, you know, testified to the other transformation that had happened with Paul. So I submit to you, without Barnabas, we might not have an apostle Paul. They might have just rejected him, said, go away. We know your reputation. You know, you're like an Osama bin Laden. <laughs> you're a terrorist. You, you kill people like us. <clears throat> without Barnabas, we might not have 14 epistles. Of the New Testament. Um, we might not have the Apostle Paul. Who is eventually received by the church in Jerusalem. And then laid hands and sent out in Acts 13 to, to the Gentiles. Just think about that. You need to remember how the church in Jerusalem felt about Paul. They were afraid of him. And Paul himself recounts it several times. He recounts it to Timothy. He also recounts it um, <clears throat> later in the book of Acts. Let me just take a minute and read that. If you want to turn to Acts 22, verse 19. Um, Paul is kind of telling his testimony and a little of his, his life history. And this is Paul writing. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in thee. And when the blood of thy witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. Remember that? We just studied it a couple weeks ago. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So he recounts, hey, I I don't hide that. I, that's my testimony. That's my past. I was I was slain. I used to imprison and beat those who believed in the Lord. He also recounts it in Acts um, 26, verse 9. This is his testimony before Agrippa when he's taken to Caesarea. And Acts 26, 9, Paul says, So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them, often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. That's that's zeal, (laughs) would you say? But zeal, wrongly directed. He was zealous to punish, to kill anyone who was in what they called the way at that time, followers of Jesus Christ. So this is the man who wants to associate with the leaders of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And they're saying, hey, uh, we know our names are on your list. (laughs) We're on your list. We don't so much want to hang out with you. We don't want so much to welcome you into our Fellowship, because uh, we know you've got us down on your checklist to be and punish and throw in prison and even kill. <clears throat> but Barnabas, Barnabas, who is well known by the apostles and by the whole church in Jerusalem, he's well known, he's respected. Barnabas is the one who presents him. Barnabas is the one who vouches for him and even urges them to receive him. That's just amazing to me that Barnabas would risk his own reputation, that he would step out that way and and take up for Paul when he knows um, he knows the tension, he knows the feeling. I don't know if you've ever been in that position where. You've seen somebody totally changed by the power and the Spirit of God and you know it, but um, others haven't experienced it and you decide you're going to you're going to stand up for them, you're going to stand with them. Um, I think perhaps Randall might be experiencing some of that as he's ministering to the man here in Brazil almost every morning he gets up at I don't know what time, but he bakes bread. In our, with our bread machine, and he serves up that bread and coffee to men who come in off the street. Their pasts are terrible. They have a reputation around here of being who knows what addicts, alcoholics, wife beaters, homeless, good for nothing. And he's loving them and he's letting them know Jesus loves them and he's seeing change in their lives. And, um, he may find himself. You know, going to the church and saying, Yeah, I knew you knew this guy as a troublemaker in the community, but he's changed. Jesus has changed his life. Please receive him as a brother. Amen, Randall? Amen. So, um, again, Barnabas is just, to me, um, he's an amazing person. We have a little glimpse into who he is in Acts 4. Verses 36 and 37. Oops, I went back too far. It says, And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means Son of Encouragement. So his name was actually Joseph, but they nicknamed him Son of Encouragement. That's his personality. That was his, um, his gift. And he owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is why I say perhaps we should change from saying Paul and Barnabas to Barnabas and Paul. <laughs> um, because Barnabas was already established in the church. He had given generously. He had already been building up, edifying the church. And now here he brings Paul to the apostles and described to them the experience that Paul had had on the road to Damascus and how even in Damascus while he was there, he had begun telling his story of, of what the Lord had done for him. So what is Barnabas doing here? What is he doing in Jerusalem with the apostle Peter and the apostle James? He is prophesying. He is prophesying. If you've been with us for a while, you know our definition, the definition of prophesying. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3. I mean, there's many, there's many aspects. To the gift of prophesying. It's like a, it's like a peacock when it spreads its feathers. <laughs> you find many, many aspects to what prophesying is. But Paul, the apostle Paul, later, in writing to the church at Corinth, just sort of boils it down in a really wonderful way for us to grasp what is this gift of prophesying. 1 Corinthians 14.3, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification which also means building up exhortation and consolation or your translation might say comfort so edification exhortation and comfort what what was what was um, Barnabas called the son of what did they say encouragement so that that fits right in there. Edification, exhortation, and encouragement, consolation, comfort. His name actually means son of encouragement. So in our text that we're looking at today, Acts 9, he is, he is um, prophesying, he is edifying the church. He is building up the church by helping to establish Paul. Again, Acts, just to make my case, Acts 13, where they send them out on the first missionary journey. Forgive me as I search for chapters here in my Brazilian Bible, which the pages stick together. If you look at the beginning of Acts 13, 2 and 3, And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. They put Barnabas' name first. Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And that was the sending of Barnabas and Saul for the first missionary journey where the gospel went out to the world um, ok so back to our text in Acts chapter 9 let's go to verse 28 we've read 26 and 27 it says in verse 28 um, and he was with them meaning Paul moving about freely in Jerusalem <clears throat> speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord so Barnabas' prophesying was successful, wasn't it? He was able to convince them, give him a chance, bring him in, get to know him, let him, let him do his thing. He was moving about freely. Nobody stopped him. And we know from Galatians 1.18 that this was for a period of 15 days that he was there staying with Peter and moving about in Jerusalem and speaking out boldly. So how beautiful to see his zeal change from persecuting those on the way to coming to Jerusalem and speaking boldly of who Jesus is and what he's done for him, what he can do for others. So verse 29, And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. (laughs) Talk about a 180-degree change. (laughs) Before, he was arguing against Jesus and putting believers to death. Now, he is presenting Jesus as the Messiah, and they're trying to put him to death. And it's interesting that this word is used, arguing. That's the Greek mindset, you know? Arguing to, um, like, these guys are philosophers. So, you present your philosophy, you present your philosophy, and... um, Debate or arguing is, out is an art form. And because of Paul's um, really very elaborate schooling, because of his education, some of the highest and best teachers, he knew how to deal with the Greeks. I think this was an advantage that he had. He wasn't just a Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin and all his credentials he gives in Philippians 3. He also knew how to deal with the Greeks and how they approached things and their mindsets. And so I I don't think that's an accident, that it says arguing. He knew how to meet them on their level and speak to them about Jesus. Um, And to the point that he infuriated them so much that they wanted to put him to death. So I guess he got a little of his own medicine, but this is all good. This is all good for Paul. It's part of his school. It's the school of Christ, learning the cost and learning that it's, it's going to cost him everything, including popularity. It's our schools God has to put us through when we really want to be witnesses for him. Amen? <clears throat> so he was there for 15 days. Then in verse 30, But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So after 15 days, um, then he leaves Jerusalem. And again, Galatians helps us fill that in, what actually happened. Um, You know, it's really good when you are studying the New Testament to understand um, how to kind of go back and forth. Because the Old Testament is pretty much in order, at least the first books. Genesis happened, then Exodus, then the books of Moses, Leviticus, um, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Judges, Joshua, Judges, it's pretty much in order. You can follow the story until you get to the prophets, but then you can fill them in and say, oh, this prophet prophesied during this time. The Old Testament is much more difficult to follow the story after after the Gospels because they're not in order. The first epistle that Paul wrote is Galatians. The second epistle he wrote was Thessalonians. It bounces back and forth. So it's really good if you can get a book, which I have one by Frank Viola, and I can't remember the name of it right off the top. I think it's called, I'm not going to even try, something about the New Testament. But it tells you the story of Paul, and then it says, now stop and read Galatians. Now stop and read Thessalonians. Now stop and read this, because then you get it in, in order. Yeah, in what, Kathy? Chronological order. So that's some of the problem we sometimes have with the New Testament. We kind of pick and choose books we like, but we're not seeing the order in which they they were written, why they were written, who they were written to, what was the circumstance under which they were written. So that's a very interesting study to do. <clears throat> so Galatians especially helps us fill in a lot of the blanks about about Acts. So um, this time after, he spent 15 days in in um, Jerusalem, then he leaves. That's filled in in Galatians 1 21 and following. He, he says, Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. So he's become the news. (laughs) He's become everybody's Facebooking. Oh, my gosh, have you heard about Paul? Have you heard about Paul? Wow. He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're going to wrap this up here. Um, We're doing 26 through 31. So let's read 31 and wrap it up. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up. Aha! You see, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, brought Paul, encouraged the apostles to receive him, to see who Jesus was in him, what God had done for him, how the Holy Spirit had totally transformed him. And through the encouragement of Barnabas, Now the church, um, not just because of that, but overall, the church is being built up. It's being encouraged. It's being edified, which is the definition of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14.3. Building up, edifying, exhorting, and comforting. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord. And in the comfort, you hear that, of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. So, I just want you to look at this little section of scripture, see the, the role of Barnabas, who you might have thought was just kind of a side character before, but by prophesying, we see here how Barnabas, edified, exhorted, and comforted the church, imparted that to Paul. Paul goes out and we know the rest of the story how far-reaching Paul's ministry was not only to the Gentile world but even to us today. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, right? So, my question to you today, perhaps God is calling you to be a Barnabas in some way or fashion. There's a situation there's a person, and you're being convicted by the Lord to give an exhortation, to give a word of comfort, a word or an act of edifying, building them up. Barnabas didn't know where it would lead. (laughs) Barnabas didn't know the impact it would have upon the the known world at that time and even as far-reaching as us today who read Paul's epistles. So when we respond to the Holy Spirit to just give a word of encouragement, give a word of of comfort, somehow come alongside someone and edify them, build them up, we don't know either how far-reaching that simple act might be. But let's seek to have the heart and the courage, <laughs> the courage that Barnabas had and the responsiveness to the Holy Spirit we find in our brother Barnabas. So I charge you today, I charge myself, I charge us, go forth today in the spirit of Barnabas. Amen. Ciao from Brazil.
0: He gave his only son, Who became the sacrifice for everyone, oh God's mercy, so a mercy me, oh God's mercy, so amazes me to every generation He gives the joy of his salvation. Oh, God's mercy so amazes me. As I watch the world around me, I can see His mighty hand Delivering His people From the evil in this land. The wounded and the broken from the seed of Abraham And led them through the wilderness Into the